Good morning. Today's teaching text is from John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The word of the Lord. Morning, how are we doing today? I'm really excited. I always love the chance to get to open God's Word with you all. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Patrick Boatwright. I'm our pastor of student and families. And uh, as Caleb mentioned earlier, we are in the middle of the Lenten season. For those of you that are not familiar, Lent is essentially the spring cleaning of the church world. Um, But it's kind of like the reverse condo, and that if you're honest, typically the things that really bring you joy are at worst just flat out sin, and at best, like, just probably not wise. Um, So you don't get to hold on to them. For me, it's that second Reese's peanut butter, uh, the Easter egg one. And I mean the second one because the first one is clearly from the Lord, but the second one, that's straight from the devil. You don't need it. You don't need it. And yet I eat it. So then it's this exploration, and we talk about essentially the spiritual gift of self-control, the Ringo star of spiritual gifts, in my opinion. Uh, for those of you who didn't get that from my younger kids, it's like that third guy of Migos that you don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it's necessary. But it's necessary. So we're going to be unpacking, as if you've been here over the last uh, two weeks, we've been unpacking uh, the final words of Jesus. And today, as you saw, the teaching text is pretty short, and it's really simple to gloss over, but I actually think there's some profound things in there from the Lord for us, and I want to explore that. So I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we're going to dive right in. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, one thing I ask and one thing I seek is to see your beauty to dwell in the house of the Lord. And this I know that you are not building a house of sticks and stones, but you are building a house of flesh and bone because you have put yourself in men and women and children. You are raising up a mighty people. You have given us your spirit. And so, Lord, I yearn to see that today. I yearn to see the people of God come alive under the the unveiling nature of your scripture, of your word. And so would you guide us, Father, as we go into your word, as we unpack uh, these final words of Jesus, would you show us something new and would you inspire our hearts to live forever change? And we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so before we get started, I just want to uh, set kind of the stage and the context in which we're going to be diving in today. Uh, we're going to be primarily looking through two lenses, all right? Those two lenses are this, a grief observed and power displayed. We'll try this again. Look at someone say, grief observed. All right, respond back, a power displayed. Power displayed. Those are the two lenses in which we're going to be viewing the scripture today. And when we look at this grief observed, if you've been here, like I said, the last two weeks, these final words of Jesus, uh, the first week we looked at, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? This comes from Luke. Luke records Jesus as he sits on the cross, as he's being mocked relentlessly by the crowd and the people around him. He has this heart that says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what 
what they do. The second one, uh, second week, if you were here, it was the thief on the cross, right? And so this one thief is mocking Jesus. The other confesses his belief and rebukes the other thief and says, hey, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom today, would you remember me? And to that, Jesus responds, surely today you will be with me in paradise, right? You'll be with me in paradise. And so today we're moving on. This story, this account is only found in the gospel of John. And it's, uh, like I said, it's really easy to kind of skip right past it. But I want us to kind of dive in under these two lenses, and I think what the Lord has for us is something that will radically, if we allow it, change the way in which we function and the ministry that we give to the world around us. It says this, all right? We start here. John says in verse 25, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Pretty straightforward. But as we talk about a grief observed, what I want us to see and what I want us to set the picture on is that what we have in this moment is that Jesus is on a cross. And Jesus is not just like any man. But see, for the last three years, Jesus has been roaming the countryside with followers. And he has been proclaiming that not only... Uh, Is there forgiveness to be found for our sins, but that he himself, not just a man, but fully God, is able to administer that forgiveness? These are bold words and bold proclamations. Jesus said that he was tearing down the temple, this temple being a a signifier of the, the place of God, the inhabitants of God, for centuries, right? And here comes this carpenter who says that he is going to tear down the temple, the place where we meet with God, and then he himself is going to rebuild it in three days. Another bold proclamation Jesus has been roaming around making. And yes, he's been doing signs and miracles, but he's also just been challenging the powers that be. And so now, instead of this savior that everyone's been looking for, this mighty man of valor, here we have, as Isaiah says, someone lowly to look upon of not much beauty or handsomeness. And here he is hanging on a cross like a regular thief and scoundrel doesn't fit with what he's been saying for the last three years. And as he's dying, just like everyone else, he's being mocked and he's being ridiculed, he's being spat upon, he's being called names. Around him are the scatterings of those followers who are observing his grief. So throughout the four Gospels, we know a little bit of who was kind of there. We know that some of the disciples were present, but John starts with this uh, setting the scene of who's present, we have Jesus and his mother, his mother Mary, who gave birth to him as a virgin. Then we have his aunt, Mary, wife of Clopas. Then we have Mary Magdalene, who was this follower of Jesus who had been disgraced and had found in Jesus uh, someone who did not judge her but offered her a new life. That's pretty straightforward. You would imagine that the people that would be there would be his mom, his aunt, a close friend, But what I think is important, what I don't want us to miss, is not who's there, but who's not there. Here's what John tells us earlier uh, in chapter 7. See, Jesus didn't have, uh, Jesus wasn't an only child. He actually had brothers and sisters, right? And they aren't present here. And there's a reason that they aren't noted as present at the crucifixion. John says it this way. Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. 
This is what's important, verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe him. Absent at the crucifixion of Jesus is his family, his brothers. Because they didn't think he was real. They didn't think, they were like, dude, you're just Jesus. I grew up with you. You are not the savior of the world. We see in that passage, they're even mocking him. Hey, you're going around, and it seems like you're trying to start a following. This is just after Jesus had recruited his disciples. And they say, listen, if you want to be famous, go act like famous people do. But we're not here for it. In Mark, we don't have it up here, but in Mark, there's this short phrase where right after Jesus has his disciples, he's sitting in this house, and people are just crowding to meet Jesus, and everyone's wanting a miracle. And his family actually comes out, and I feel like this is like, you don't know, like Ricky Lake or something, like Dr. Phil. The family comes out, and they're like, uh, the scriptures say, when this family heard about it, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. That's the words of Jesus in Matthew when he goes back to Bethlehem, his hometown, and he says this. It says that a prophet is not without honor within his hometown or within his own home. See, Jesus knew that his family just didn't get it yet. And so here's the scene that we're seeing, a grief observed. And it's not just the, the, the death of this man, but how much more so is that death compacted by that his own family isn't present. Some of you may have heard uh, in past times I've been able to share. Uh, there was this time in my life, it's a long story. If you want, we can set up coffee. I'll gladly swap you a story. I uh, took off to Colorado. This is shortly after Bible school. And it was one of the first real times in my life where I felt like the Lord was, was but I, but I knew what it meant when someone said they were called or when they felt impressed upon to do something. And I, it was the first time I really felt impressed upon to do something that immediately on its surface seemed kind of crazy. And that was to move to Colorado to serve and work in this church um, that couldn't afford to pay me, that was miles away from home in a place I knew no one and had no affiliation, but I felt that the Spirit of God was leading me there. And so I had been praying for months and months and asking for all sorts of just confirmation, you know, because there's this time, if we're, we're true as followers of God, where you're like, okay, either this is true, that there's a God and he's leading me, or I have gone crazy, you know, and you really got to test it out. And I was in that moment. And so it came down to this one day where I said, I've been praying. And I was like, God, I want confirmation. And so I go and I call my dad and I'm telling him, hey, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to move. This is happening. And in that moment as, you know, a son, what you expect to hear from your father is like, go get him. I'm behind you. Let's do this. And instead, what I heard from my father was, I don't believe you. Uh, I do not think this is from God. And I think you're making a terrible mistake. Okay. Heartbroken. It is, it is, I have literally have not, there's been a few times where I've experienced such devastation as that moment. Talking with my father, not talking, but screaming and yelling and angry. Later, uh, the beauty of that story is my dad confessed that in those moments, those words weren't coming from a spirit led place, but were actually fear because his little boy was moving across the country and he couldn't help him if this was wrong. Right, But in that moment, I felt utterly abandoned and humiliated. I imagine Jesus felt a similar thing as he sat being mocked and not having his own brothers there to support him. 
And it's easy in the Lenten season to get caught up in kind of this like the downtrodden nature of the crucifixion, right? Like I said, this is the season of like giving up Netflix and like Easter eggs and candy and chocolate and all the just joyful things in life. Uh, And it's easy just to feel like, why? Gosh, this is so much. But I want us to see something. We know this cat's out of the bag. Hopefully it's not a spoiler. We believe Jesus doesn't stay dead. All right. So in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to celebrate April 21st that Jesus is put in a tomb, but he doesn't stay there, right? And we celebrate with all this power. And we usually wait until Easter to celebrate and to be happy and to, to, you know, just let it rip. But here's the thing. The power of the resurrection didn't just show up when Jesus was in the tomb. The power of the resurrection, if we have the eyes to see it, are actually being seated right there when Jesus was still on the cross while the breath was still in his body. See, there's a grief observed, but there's power displayed. Here's where I see that in this simple passage. Let's go back to the scriptures, verse 26. It says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. See, what happens here in the last two, if you catch it, Jesus says first he starts off with, Father, forgive them. Forgive these people. Not just the ones that were mocking him, but I think this is a general exclamation because Jesus knew that he was, in effect, saving the world. He's saying, Lord, forgive the world for what they know, not what they do. On this corporate level, Jesus is lifting up and caring for the world. And then on this individual level for the thief on the cross and for his mother, we see this care for the individual. John notes that Jesus sees his mother and he sees her alone without his brothers to comfort her. And as he hangs on a cross, right, which is a horrific death, as he's hanging there and life is fading out, his attention is turned to her individual need. And he cares for her. That type of self-sacrifice, corporately, individually, that is not a natural thing. It was just this morning, uh, we were getting ready, and uh, I have this amazing ability uh, to not leave until two minutes after I need to. Um, My wife loves it. and so there's always something missing. And today it was my wallet, right? And so I'm searching for my wallet because for some reason I don't put it on the, the place she has set aside for me to place my things, right? That makes way too much sense. Instead, I like to leave it in some random pocket. It's like a game. Then I get to find it when I'm late, right? And so I'm searching around and here she is. She has all these things she wants to take on an errand today. And she's looking for this thing that only I know where it's at. And so she says, hey, hey, honey, uh, where's that, where's that, that waistband? that basket I want to return. And in this moment, as she's asking for this basket and this information that I have, I am looking for my wallet, okay? And so in this exasperation, I'm like, honey, I am doing far more important things right now, so I need to find my wallet. I cannot help you right this second. I hope that I said it in a sweeter tone than that, but probably didn't. Um, So pray for me. Uh, But I was just so caught up In my thing, in my pain, I need to find my wallet so we can get out of here. I can't help you with your task, especially not finding a basket. We can do that another day. It's fine. 
As I feel it's just natural human reaction. But the beauty of the gospel is that as Jesus sits on a cross, and it would make sense that he's like, listen, I, sorry, mom. It's past the point of me trying to find you companionship. I'm kind of dying here for the sins of the world. Instead, Jesus sees her needs and meets them. That is the gospel power. The power of the gospel is displayed when we consider the interests of others over our our own. The power of the gospel is displayed when we consider the interests of others over our own. That is not normal. It is not natural. It is natural to say, this is my thing. You're going to have to figure it out. But it takes something that's inside us that leads us to say, I am going to put aside my own problems, my own issues, and I'm going to meet and see your needs. Paul encourages this way in Philippians 2. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I'm sorry, love. My bad. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross, this is the power of the gospel. This is what tells the world there's something different here. But that's not all we see in this passage, right? There's one other crucial thing I don't want us to skip past. We go back to that end of verse 26. Woman, here is your son, Jesus says to his mother, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, his disciple took her into his home. This is what's important. In this moment, what Jesus does and what the gospel does is Jesus fundamentally redefines family. See, these words that are used here aren't slang words. Like, this isn't like, yo, bro, like, you're not my brother, but we're like brothers. Uh, no, the words that are actually being used there, Jesus is saying, hey, John, that's your mom, the woman who gave birth to you. Hey, mom, that's your son. You gave birth to him. You guys are family now. You are united now. The end of that, John writes, we translate it into his home, which that word there, uh, adios, is a Greek word. It, it, can mean, it, it can mean home, sure, but more so than that, and oftentimes it's used in Scripture to denote possession, right? What, what John is really conveying to us here is not that, that John took Mary into his home, but that John made her his own. John became to see Mary as his own mother. My responsibility. I belong to her and she belongs to me. Why is this important? It means this, that we belong to each other. It means that the power of the gospel is displayed when we become family. 
We know this more than anything as New Yorkers, right? Most of us are transplants. Family is far away. And oftentimes, right, this place can be super lonely. Even if you have friends, there's like this difference, right? Because a friend can like meet you out for like drinks and lunch and you don't mind. You don't mind calling a friend for that. But it's really hard to like call a friend and be like, can you just watch my kid <laughs> again? Right? Maybe the first time, but the second time. Now, family, you're like, you have to watch my kid. <laughs> like, you're not even asking. It's like, hey, I'm leaving, and if they're not going to be home alone and, like, on fire, you should get over here. Right? That's the difference between friends and family. And so we could have tons of friends here, but, man, how often do we just yearn in this city for family? For people that are there, not just for the good times, but to bear up under our struggles. I love this little trivia videos and stuff that, that happened on Facebook. It's one of the things I probably have to give up for Lent. Um, but I watch these things. They always have like some kind of like small, like, did you know, like this is how you like make diamond out of like peanut butter and a coal. Have you all seen that one? It's crazy. Uh, but I saw one a while back that really just like changed. It was this cool thing and I've kept it with me. And it was, I saw this a year ago, but it was about phrases. And it was talking about mis, uh, misconception of popular phrases. And one of them that they mentioned was the phrase, blood is thicker than water. You've heard that a million times, blood is thicker than water. And the common use of that phrase is to, is to illustrate that blood, people like my, my sisters that I have, are, should be of more closeness and I should have more devotion to them than say a friend, someone who's not, who doesn't share my actual biological bloodline. But that actual phrase, the full phrase is actually the blood of the oath or the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. It's actually the exact opposite. What that saying is saying is that actually what binds us more than just our familial bloodlines, more than just the water, the womb that we shared with people, but it's the blood of the oath. When we cut our hands, we make a pact, and I say that you're mine and I am yours. That, that's thick. We made that choice. Some of us know we did not choose our family, amen? <laughs> we got them, but we didn't choose them. But those that we have chosen, we're in it. And the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel is that under the blood of Jesus, when we decide, as Natalie did this morning, right, she's made that profession, uh, as Luke Heron did uh, earlier, as we celebrate that, what they have said is that under the blood of Jesus, I am calling you family and you are calling me family. Not just for the good times, before the bad times, for the hard times, for the watch my kids on a Friday night times, on the lend me $1,000 times, not even lend, give me. I can't pay it back. Let's be honest. This is what the blood of Jesus does. It binds us and it makes us family. Every Wednesday night, uh, my wife and I, we have the pleasure of hosting a life group. Actually, most of them are seated over there. What's up, y'all? Uh, there's like 14 of us, and we all pack into our house, and we make dinner, and every week we just share life together. And it is the most beautiful representation of the gospel I have ever seen. 
we have people of every different age. I mean, from 20s to 60s, we got single people, married people, people with kids, people without, and we're all just together. Different socioeconomic status, different race, and we're all there sharing a meal. And not just sharing a meal, but we're bearing each other up under marital problems, under pain, under the weight and stress of school and life and dating. We're there for each other. Nothing's off limits. We've lost family members. We've had babies born. Just last week, I had the beautiful pleasure um, of helping dedicate uh, Abel Lindsay, one of our, our, our newborn babies, to the Lord as we all just stood together with others as family. And I know that if something were to happen today, I know who I could call. I know who I could go to. We have cried together, we've laughed together, and we got many more of each to do. And I just want to say as a side note that that's, just, that's not something that's like unique. We're not the only pocket here. That's happening in different places across this community. And so if you're a part of this family and haven't known that and haven't found that, well, we need to fix that, right? And so we got on the website. There's a places to find groups where you can partner in. If you don't want to go to the website, you can find me or any of our staff, and we'll help find you a family home because what happens is under the blood of Jesus, we become family, amen? And everybody needs a family. This city is too hard. Too hard. The rent's too high. (laughs) We were, uh, my wife and I are adopting, and last week, or yesterday, we were in this, like, class, adoption class, and uh, it was just this really awesome moment where um, our caseworker, she was kind of leading the thing, and she was talking about, I don't remember what exactly they were talking about. It was like family, and I should probably remember, right? Um, <laughs> she was talking about a baby. Like, they had this couple that had brought in their, their newly adopted baby. But she made this reference. She goes, yeah, you know what's crazy? She's like, some of you, what's really awesome, and she's pointing to, like, Catherine and I. She's like, they belong to this, like, church. And then, like, these churches do these crazy things where, like, She's like, they like make meals for each other after they have babies and stuff. And she was like, and they like care for each other and help. She's like, it's amazing. She's like, it kind of makes like parenting kind of like less hard. I was like, yeah, (laughs) it does. You got it. Come on. That's the power of the gospel. Let's be honest. I can tell people until we're blue in the face that Jesus died and came again. and like, cool, that's great. You tell somebody, hey, I want to be your family. I'm here to watch your kid. I'm here to be with you. I'm here to help you through your problems. Where's that? I would love to see that. That's the power of the gospel. There's two warnings that I want to give us, and then we're going to be done. As we talk about this idea of putting the interest of others above our own, this idea of being family, I do have to give a warning to be responsible um, that it's easy for some to hear that and to walk away from this morning feeling like my pain doesn't matter and I'm wrong if I were to focus on my pain. In particular, what I'm thinking about, I know too often and too long, particularly our sisters, have borne themselves under abuse and subjugation out of this 
sense of love for the person that's abusing them. Out of this, this sense of duty that I should just endure uh, this pain and abuse because I love them. And to that I want to say that is not actually what the scripture is talking about when it talks about seeking the interests of others above our own. See, for Jesus and for us, it's not in spite of our pain, but inside of our pain that we place ourselves second. This is what I mean by that. There is no nobility and no righteousness to be found by ignoring or pretending that we are not in pain, that we do not have troubles, just so that we can bear up someone else's. That is not what the scripture preaches. Instead, what the call is, right, is that I, I name and I know my pain and I'm dealing with it and I'm allowing the Lord to address it, but I am not going to be consumed solely by my pain, but I'm going to attend to the pain of others. And frankly, also, here's the thing. You are actually not putting the interests of others when we allow those who abuse us to continue to abuse us. We're not actually putting their best interest because what abuse does, it does not just victimize the victim, but it victimizes the victimizer. Abuse takes everyone out. And so when we allow people to stay in cycles of that, we're actually doing them a disservice. Amen? So please don't hear that being like Jesus is bearing under the weight of undue uh, pressure. Jesus is able to submit to the death on the cross, right? He is able to put himself under the abuse that we put on him in that cross because he knows that he is Jesus and he is dying to, in fact, come back from the, the grave and to save the world. And unless you were born of a virgin that I don't know about, right, and unless you, like, founded the earth and are able to take away the sins of the world, That's not what we're doing. But what we do and what we are called to do is to acknowledge our pain, put sight to our pain, put sight to those of the pain around us and say, hey, I am attending to my needs, but I also am going to attend to yours. I'm going to look to your needs too, but we have to define what those true needs are. And lastly, the second warning I just want to give us as we try to live this out. Community and family is a great thing. It is a wonderful thing. It is a necessary thing, much like tape to keep this thing from slipping. Um, but community cannot bear our cross. They can only share our cross. Community cannot bear our cross, but they can share our cross. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. In the cross that Jesus carried, right, It is obviously a tremendous burden, the heaviest burden that he played. But in that burden, there also becomes the greatest gift to all of humanity. And so we know uh, that, you know, some of the scriptures talk about some that along the way Jesus falters and he can't carry his cross. There's a man who comes and helps and pulls his cross to the final site, right? And that's beautiful, that, that picture of love and the helping to bear the cross. But if he'd have got on that cross to die for Jesus, guess what? There wouldn't be any need for us to be here this morning because he did not have the power to do what only Jesus could do. That cross was Jesus's and Jesus's alone. 
And so for us, we bear our troubles in community, but it is still our troubles to bear. Oftentimes there's a chance where we can use community and we can hide within the framework of community, right? And get so caught up on everybody else's that we neglect and we hide and we don't want to address the things that we have to go through. But here's the thing, when we do that, we cheat ourselves and we cheat the community because we have to bear our crosses because our crosses and the burdens that you are bearing, the crosses and burdens that you are bearing are both a burden but also our greatest gifts to this body. Through those burdens that you bear and the power of the gospel, we, the rest of us, come to benefit. I think of that display a few weeks ago as those families that suffered such horrendous loss and as we watched the power of the gospel right there under the weight of strain that only they can really go through. We can sympathize, but I have no clue the depth and the breadth of that pain. But man, was I blessed. And while I wouldn't wish it on the world, what I learned through that is that Jesus, if Jesus can give you the power to stand up and give you that testimony, he can surely outdo my rent. He can surely meet me in whatever I'm going through. If all we got is a Jesus that can like just take care of bills, that's not going to take us very far. Because we live in a dark and heavy world. So we, we can only bear our cross, but we do it together. But when you walk through your stuff, when you find the power of the gospel and the power of the resurrection, you are able to share that and give a testimony that betters the whole body. I think of Leah. I had her share last time. She's in our life group and has been suffering from chronic migraines for two years now. And I pray daily that there would be a day of healing where she never had to worry about it again. But can I tell you, though, while we're in it for for the last two years, she has taught me so much about perseverance in the spirit, joy in the midst of, tr- in, of trial. More than I could have ever learned because I see it up close. It, doesn't, it hasn't been easy, but gosh, I've watched her walk through it. It has been a gift to the body. I think of John Wang and his incredible ability to teach and open up God's word and unpack it. I went through his Peter's course. And I'm like, want another one. Such a gift to the body. I know it's not easy to prepare that and to get up and only like five people come. And Eddie did it so diligently to bless the body. I think of Kelsey. Where's Kelsey at? Kelsey's an actress. She's incredible. I got to see this incredible play she was in a few months ago. And I know it's hard being an actress in this city. I know it can be devastating. Yet she does it. And she brings such beauty to the world and peace to people. And we need it. You have a cross that only you can bear, and we need you to bear it. We need you to go through it. We'll be with you. We'll help you when it's too heavy. But you've got to go through it and invite the Lord. Find the, 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 the joy of the gospel. We need you to. I end on this. We've got this say yes coming up. And what that is, that's, that's this in display. It's an ability to say, I'm a part of this family. And I will bear up under the burdens of raising up these children. These children are not just their parents. They belong to all of us. We have to take responsibility to make sure that they know the God who loves them. These mics don't set up themselves. I can talk. My voice is a little scratchy. I need this mic. We need somebody to roll those cables. This worship, we need people to lead us in that. Youth, we need you. 
not just internally, not just for here, but out in the world. That is the power of the gospel. That is what we're saying yes to, being family. So I pray that uh, later they're going to give another reminder of how to get signed up. And man, if you are family here, if you want to be a part of this family, don't miss the opportunity to join in. Yes, it's going to be hard times, but man, there will be beautiful times. The band's about to come up, and I'm going to pray for us. I'm so excited about the power of the gospel. It has fundamentally changed my life. I'll never be the same, completely. And I just want to say that if, man, today, if today's the day, if you're like, I want in, I want to be family, please grab somebody. Caleb was kind of joking, but not really. We can go ahead and celebrate this thing today. We can go ahead and push you straight on through. It's like the automatic car. We'll give you the four-star, right, into the family, dunked. We'll take you out to lunch. Think about it. Let's pray. Father, it is your power by which you raised Jesus from the dead that enables us to put the interests of others above our own, that enables us to be family even though we didn't grow up together. That is your work, that is your business, that is fueled and sustained through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray that for each person, they would know, they would know that power that they would examine whatever power they've been using to fuel their lives and see if it measures up to what you have to offer. And that you would then give them the courage if they find it deficient, would you give them the courage to leave it behind? Because I know and I want to thank you for the power that you have placed inside of me. For the revolution you have made in my heart for the family that you have given me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. So now as we take time to reflect, Lord, would you meet each of us individually and then as we come and respond to the things that you've shared with us today, Lord, would we leave, would we leave nothing behind? Would you give us the courage of your spirit to do what is necessary to respond in the ways in which you're calling us? And we pray all these things the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to take a moment and we're just going to have a moment of personal reflection. Pray and listen to the spirit that calls, that invitation. You know the areas in which you need the power of the gospel to invade. And then in a second, I'll come back and I'll invite us to the table and in our acts of worship. Take a moment.